live. You also might be listening to us on uh, one of our wonderful community radio partners across the country. We've uh, we had a couple of sort of fun shows, as in fun for me, for the last couple of weeks. We were kind of messing about, just having you know, just having some good old holiday fun. But we're back in the serious business this week. We have some uh, some really interesting uh, conversations we're going to have today. The primary interview we're going to be uh, talking to uh, Romani Nadaraja, who's a counsel for the Canadian Environmental Law Association. We're going to be talking about brand new Ontario legislation. Uh, that is anti-slap uh, and uh, slap. We've been talking about that a little bit. That's the strategic lawsuits against public participation. So we have new legislation here in Ontario. Uh, this aim is to prevent that. And of course, the the issue with with these lawsuits is is this is when uh, large corporations or other agencies or basically people with buckets and buckets of money. Uh, can use the legal system to intimidate and have a chilling effect on public discourse about uh, public issues. Frequently, this applies to the environment, although it's not exclusive to the environment. Uh, there are many other areas, but we're going to talk to Ramani about that about 15 minutes into the show. I have a brief thing I want to talk about at the beginning of the show, which I'll get to in just a moment. And then, uh, just to mix it up, because it's so hard to do this, we're actually going to not, and I'm looking at you, Steho, and, uh, and, and you, Kevin, who are both in the uh, studio with me today. We're not talking about climate change today. We're going we're gonna to try really hard to, just for one show, not mention climate change beyond me saying this right now. Okay? Deal? Climate change. Damn it! Well, no, we can't talk about it. It's too cold. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if we do, um, uh, you, you, the, the, the directive on the secret mailing list from the U.N., is that we have to call it climate change, uh, not global warming. So, uh, so best just not to discuss it at all until it's we can get back to perpetuating the hoax at a later date. <laughs> <laughs> it's too confusing. Yeah, yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. So uh, what we're going to do, we're also going to come back. So in, in an effort to avoid talking about CC, uh, we're going to uh, we're going to talk about a few other items today. I, I wanted we're actually reaching a little bit back for some of these news items, but uh, they're ones that we missed because we spend so much time talking about uh, the the uh, it shall no longer be named issue. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, endangered species. Which we haven't talked about in oh man I think it might have been lately it might be a full year since we talked about something about that a little bit it was a news item again a little bit old but I, I wanted to address it because we didn't talk about it at the time we're also going to talk about uh, overseas mining uh, and the abuses of said companies involved in in those uh, we're also going to talk about um, corporate power in the sense that we're gonna we're gonna have a brief short little discussion about the TPP the Trans Pacific Partnership um, which if you haven't heard about it you should it basically uh, TPP is code language for gigantic heist by multinational corporations of both our money and civil liberties. Um, but that's going to be at the end of the show. What I want to talk about really quickly in our first little segment here before we go to our, our first break uh, is something that's kind of been driving me a bit bonkers. And I didn't uh, I, I didn't really prep um, either uh, Stefan or Kevin about this. Um, but my Facebook has been a flutter um, with all sorts of stop Harper stuff. Hmm. And I need to qualify this comment ahead of time by saying, yes, I agree. Um, he has been probably one of the worst, worst prime ministers in history as far as uh, the abuses of power, as far as concentrating power in his office, removing environmental protections. Whether you care about the environment or not, um, I think many people will agree that, that he's been awful. Um, but here's the but. And here's what I want to do. We're, gonna, we're just going to take about 10 minutes to talk about this. The The... 
Stop Harper campaign has been driving me crazy, and I'll tell you why, and then I want to uh, – you guys can tell me if I'm out to lunch on this. Mm-hmm. The reason it's been driving me crazy was my observation has been is that this sort of uh, make an evil character out of the person in charge who's from the party that you don't like as some evil deity, as some sort of devil, uh, evil that needs to be stopped, and then not having a plan as to talk about what you do want – is one of the largest contributing factors in guaranteeing that they get reelected because it fractures the opposition, right? What we need to be doing, if you care about the environment, let's, let's forget about other topics for now. I think there's, there's a lot of issues we can talk about, but let's stay, stick on the topic of the environment. If you're concerned about this sort of legislation or that sort of legislation or environmental assessments uh, that have been gutted or protection for endangered species or uh, corporate responsibility, paying for uh, oil spill cleanups, any of these issues, the thing that needs to be done is to promote this as a cause that voters care about both by activating other citizens to contact their their local politician and tell them that this is an issue that they care about. Maybe people don't care enough and and you should participate and find a way to support uh, a way of getting uh, the information out there, an easy way you could do that, of course, uh, shameless self-plug would be to help share the sh- our show mm. with people. These are all things you can do. And, and what that does is that when we get around to an election, it shows parties, hey, if I want to get votes from this part of the country or from this region, I need to have a policy on this issue, right? And then you can get into a discussion about who has the best policy on that issue. But what's been driving me crazy, and maybe I'm wrong, and here's where I'll stop, mm. is that it seems that the vast majority of the people who are uh, upset about these issues, the same issues that I care about, their their response has been simply stop Harper and that's it. So my problem is not the idea of stopping Harper. I, I, I agree that we, we do need to prevent Harper from continuing to, to be in charge of this country or at the very least – I don't think this is possible, but just to be technically accurate, if he suddenly had a change of heart on a wide variety of issues and went the complete opposite direction, that's fine. But that's what's important. I disagree with him because of the issues, and I want someone in power who is more in favor with my view of these issues. But I see my objection is simply that if your only thing you're saying to people is stop this guy, then that's how we fracture the votes among all sorts of other parties. There isn't really a good other choice because we haven't been working with the politicians themselves to say, hey, if you want my vote, I need you to have a plan for this issue, and here's my feelings on it. I want you to represent my values and, 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 and put my, my values into government. If your only plan is I hate that guy, that's how we got him elected the last two times. So I just we have about seven minutes, and I just want to quickly get a thought for my little rant on that uh, from either of you. Stefan, would you like to go first? Sure, I'll go first. Uh, <clears throat> I, I'm going to play devil's advocate as much as I hate uh, hate the term devil's advocate or the people <laughs> who usually say I want to play devil's advocate. I saw your Facebook post about that. So, so you're devil's advocating <laughs> the for idea that of term? devil's <laughs> advocate. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but so here's the here's the strongest argument you can make for the straight up stop Harper pitch uh, is that. Arguably, uh, it does exactly the opposite of what you're saying. Uh, the stop Harper pitch is 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 the reason why you'd use that pitch would be to for the fact fact that there are there are seven different seven hundred different reasons why you might be against the Harper government. You know whether or not it is uh, whether or not it's just you don't like the fact that the PO's office has an insane amount of power. Whether or not it's the fact that or PM's office. Uh, whether or not you think it's that. Um, the gutting of regulations, whether or not you're just against omnibus bills, whether or not you think that mega jails are not a good idea, whether or not you think that we don't need massive fighter planes. I could go on forever. Uh, but 
the idea of the soft harbor is these are all part of the same problem, and let's all team up and not do it. It's it's it's, it's a case for strategic voting, is what it is. It's a case for strategic voting, um, and what's interesting about the strategic voting is if there's one issue that uh, that Canadian that that the left can't seem to agree on, it's whether or not you should engage in strategic voting. Um, I won't go into the sort of the, the second part, of course, of this is which I'm sure uh, would be seven Kevin's toes, which is how different are you going to get from Harper with the NDP or the Liberals, given the f- or you know, given the fact that almost all of them still support Energy East, blah blah blah. Well, because both of them, I was going to say, both of them are against Energy East. Oh wait, no, they're not. <laughs> well, we'll see if Trudeau ends up actually making a making changing fully changing his position on Energy East uh, towards being against it. Right now, he's sort of flip flopping, um, but it's still better than care. Uh But so, I think what it comes down to the argument, of course, it, for like your argument is that what that anyone is better at this point, and so why not just say that. Look, this is we know you're on, like you're on our side if you just are against Harper. And at this and if the last election is any indication, that means you have about 65% of the voting electorate uh on your side. Um and to be honest, I'm a little sympathetic if only because I I don't I don't I you know, I haven't fully made a position on 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 the other party leaders, but I don't entirely see how they could be worse. So it's like, you know, it's sort of like a try it. Maybe something will be better will be happening. Who knows? Um, maybe we'll get incredibly lucky and have like a three-way split between or four-way split with a block, Greens, NDP, and Liberals who all have to d- deal with each other uh, and actually get some good policies in that way. Um, but so I see, I see why. It's a call for strategic voting. That's all it is. Um, and... And whether or not that's effective. And I, I agree with you that more often it's more effective to say these are the policies we want as activists in a specific realm. But I think, le- like, if you're going for an election, in, if, if it's just this election sort of push, I understand at the very least. But I'll let Kevin yeah. go. And, it, and my, only, my only thing to be absolutely clear about that was that I'm, I'm not saying don't say Stop Harper. I'm saying saying Stop Harper and nothing else is not effective. It's like trying to get people to go, if you have an ice cream store across the street from the mm-hmm. theater, running into the theater and yelling fire. And not fire. And the only way to put it out is by buying Bob's ice cream. You need to have a plan. You can't just scare people. But, but anyway. I, as I, as a, just to refute that point just a little bit. The, then if you yell fire, the only way to put it out is Bob's ice cream. Five people in there are lactose intolerant. You just lost five people. Now they're all burning in a fire. But at least the other 95 went to Bob's ice cream. Anyway, we'll, <laughs> we'll, anyway, we'll, we'll stop there. Kevin, go ahead. Uh, sure. Uh, you guys are kind of talking about two different things. One, are, are <laughs> Kevin there... lays it down. <laughs> Well, yeah, okay, so, okay, you're talking about the difference between having credible policy alternatives and strategic voting. Uh, I don't disagree with either either point of view. Uh, another, another way of phrasing this sort of ABC, anything but conservative push, is, is to say, you know, unite the left, which in this case is being defined as anything but Stephen Harper or anything <laughs> but true. The, the left is now anything that is just not the Harper conservatives. And, you know, I don't know. I have the old fart perspective here is that I've been listening to this all my entire life. And this is just part of the pathology of using first past the post in a multi-party system. It's 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 a pathological consequence of of that system. I, I, I see no point in having this discussion about strategic voting, the need for it, the application of it, the how to go about doing it. We need proportional representation, which will simply moot this discussion in its entirety and to to maybe light up our email account the single best way to elect um 
Green MPs in 2019 might be to elect NDP MPs in 2015 because they're running on a commitment to proportional representation, despite the fact that they have benefited from what we could call the efficiency of the vote <laughs> in the last election. They, are, they were over-rewarded. By, uh, according to their seat count, they were over-rewarded for their, their level of popular support based on how those based on the pathology of first past the post. And one of the impediments to getting proportional representation is that almost it's almost axiomatic that the party that wins the election will have won based on being over-rewarded uh, uh, by, in their seat count based on their popular support. So they have no incentive to institute uh, proportional representation when they have almost certainly achieved government uh, by benefiting from its, its perversity. So, so yeah, I mean, at my age, you've heard this discussion your whole life. Uh, when I was campaigning, I was confronted by a, a man, um, not even in his writing, uh, just dressing me up one side and down the other about how us green candidates were stealing liberal votes. Those votes are, those were our votes. No, they're not. They belong to the citizen casting them. You know, they're not, they don't belong to any one candidate. But this is, this is how people perceive this. And I don't disagree with how incensed he was that uh, at, at you know confronting some of the perversities of this system. Uh, but proportional representation moots the whole conversation. People are awarded uh, seats according to their share of the popular vote, and then we engage in this uh, brave new world of uh, parliamentary debate, uh, interparty cooperation, and you know I don't know the beginnings of sensible government. If anyone ever accused, oh, those damn, well, you're just opposed to whatever. We have three hosts on this show, essentially, and and you know, while we sort of largely agree, I, I, I'm, I'm frequently impressed and happy with the fact that we almost never universally agree with each other. <laughs> I, I think there's something to be said for uh, for that discussion. Uh, however, uh, we're really interested in hearing what you have to think about this. If you think uh, any of this is completely out to lunch, uh, please do engage with us. Uh, and the last thing I'll say before we go to our music break in about uh, 30 seconds uh, is that... Uh, Stefan, um, we recently we, we've never really had an, an email list because I, I wasn't really sure what to what to put on it other than uh, other than the radio show. And there's a very easy way to follow the radio show. You can subscribe on iTunes. Uh, you can also uh, follow our, our the radio show blog. Um, but now that we're doing a lot more, there's a lot of content in a lot of different places, and, and I realize it can be a hassle for people to follow us on Facebook and follow us on YouTube and follow us on the WordPress and all this stuff. So in uh, uh, on about the 16th, so in about a week. Uh, we're going to start our first ever once a month, once a month email that's mm. going to collect, and all it is, it's just going to be links to all the different stuff that we're doing. It's a very easy way to engage with us without flooding your inbox. So, the, if you're interested in, in hearing some of the other content that we're doing, you and I uh, spend an, an atrocious amount of time, <laughs> basically unpaid, uh, doing all sorts of other stuff. Um, and uh, if you if you want an easy way to follow that, I've now installed the button right on the front of the homepage at greenmajority.ca. You'll sign up. It says email list. You will get one email a month. And all it's going to do is basically for you is condense all of the stuff that we've been doing into one easy, convenient, once-a-month format. So if there's something you can do today and you, and you want to hear more about what we're doing but not be drowned in all sorts of notifications and stuff like that, go ahead. Please do go to greenmajority.ca. There's a button right on the front that says email, uh, email subscribe or email list. It's a big, shiny button. You can't miss it. 
please do click ahead. We're going to start sending out one email a month just updating people. Uh, the other thing is that we're really interested in hearing from you as well. So if you have any comments about this discussion or any other discussion that we're having, please do reach out to us. You can do that through Twitter, through Facebook. Uh, you can email us directly. There's a big contact us bu uh, button on the form. But we are very interested in hearing what your thoughts are on these issues. And uh, maybe if you want to suggest a different topic or if you have a different point of view that you, you think we need to represent, we are definitely, whatever the opposite of hostile is, very mm -hmm. welcoming there you go. to a variety of opinions. So please do engage with us. That's, that's the end of my little pitch Speak here. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I am very interested in a diverse set I'm just going to yell at you for throwing your Frisbee over my fence. <laughs> <laughs> with that, we're going to take our, our first music break here. We're going to go for a short music break. We'll come back and we're going to be speaking to the Canadian Environmental Law Association about brand new anti-slap legislation in Ontario. What does it mean? What does it look like? And is it going to be effective? We'll be right back. You're listening to The Green Majority here at CIUT 89.5 FM.
All right, and we are back. I'm Darren Case. You're listening to The Green Majority here at CIUT 89.5 FM. We're going to go now to our interview with the Canadian Environmental Law Association. I should have Ramani Nadaraja on the phone. Council with Sila, are you there? Yes, I am. Hello. We really appreciate you taking some time to speak to us this morning. Thank you very, very much. Um, we'd like to start um, just by giving people a quick overview. I kind of very briefly outlined what uh, SLAP was, and, and most of our listeners are probably familiar with the concept. But if you can just give us a, a, a quick summary from Celia's point of view about uh, what is a SLAP lawsuit, how does that play a function in our democracy, and then what's the history in Canada? How long, is, how long has this been a thing? Well, the term SLAP is an acronym for stands for Strategic Lawsuits Against Public Participation. And it's basically a lawsuit that is initiated against a group or an individual for publicly speaking out on a matter of public interest. And these lawsuits are without merit, but they succeed in diverting a defendant's time and the resources and money away from engaging on the public issue to instead responding to the slap. So it, it's not the strength of the case, uh, but but uh, rather the threat of a very onerous and, and expensive litigation that makes slaps so very effective. Um, slaps, I think, have, you know, we, th- th- they were largely uh, an American phenomenon uh, until about 15 years ago. And, and in the U.S., the problem to slaps has, has been around for much longer uh, consequently, more than half of the U.S. states have responded by by actually enacting anti-slap legislation. Washington State was the first state to do that in 1989. But certainly over the past decade, we have seen an increase in the number of slaps, uh, not just here in, in Ontario, but certainly in other provinces. Uh, Nova Scotia, for example, had an, uh, had uh, did introduced a private members bill to address slaps. Um, and I think if the trend continues, I think well, it's simply a matter of time before we will see anti-slap legislation in, in a number of the other provinces as well. Is Ontario the first right now to enact this? Is there any other uh, no. comparable? No. Quebec has uh, anti-slap legislation in place. It, it's part of their civil code. So uh, BC was the very first province to enact anti-slap legislation, but that legislation was repealed following a change in government about a decade ago. Um, currently, Quebec has anti-slap legislation, and uh, if this bill were to pass, which we certainly hope it will, Ontario will be, be the second to have it in Canada. But uh, I should point out that you know, um, anti-slap legislation, as I indicated, has been enacted in other jurisdictions, particularly in the United States, as well as uh, one jurisdiction in Australia as well. Can you talk about the details uh, a little bit uh, um, about exactly how this will go about actually doing that? Assuming it goes ahead, how will this protect Canadians? Well, what the bill does is it provides a means for the court to to readily identify and to dismiss slaps very early in the litigation process. And how it works is that the defendant, that is the party who is the target of a slap, first has to establish, uh, would bring a motion in the court and would have to establish that that, uh, he or she was engaging in public participation. The onus then shifts to the plaintiff to show that their case, in fact, has substantial merit and that the defendant does not have a valid defense. So basically what the the bill does, it is allows for a, a very uh, a process uh, very early in the litigation process to to identify and to to dismiss uh, cases which are really potentially abusive. 
The bill also, I think, creates, uh, in, in a very important regard, it creates disincentives to bring uh, to to launch a slap, and the way it does is that it gives the court the power to impo- impose cost on a full indemnity basis against a party who who initiated the slap. Normally, when when a court uh, awards cost awards, the, the the cost award only covers a partial uh, the cost of, of bringing the litigation for to cover both the counsel's fees and any any other expenses that have been incurred. In the case of of uh, this particular bill, what it would allow is the court to award full indemnity costs, which is really all the costs that have been incurred uh, by the 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 victim of a slap uh, to bring that motion in in court. So so in that way, I think it provides a very important disincentive to launch a slap. You of course um, are uh, in favor of this. Is that this is one of the files you've been working on with with Sila? Um, but what I'm curious about is, of course, no legislation is is perfect. So mm-hmm. from from the awareness of what you have of how the bill looks like right now, is there is there any concern that you have about any of the wording in there or any, about any loopholes that might exist? Is this an incredibly strong piece of legislation, or is it just better than nothing? Well, I think in terms of when you're analyzing any piece of legislation, obviously there's, there's room for improvement. I, I do think the legislation is, is a fairly solid piece of legislation which will achieve its objective. A number of years ago, the government um, set up an expert panel to provide recommendations to the government on how anti-slap legislation should be drafted. And CELA, along with a number of other groups and individuals, made presentations to the expert panel. And the recommendations of the panel were included in a report, and I think the bill, to a large extent, uh, follows those recommendations. But obviously, you know, when you're dealing with any bill, there is room for improvement. And, and one of the ways I think the bill could have been strengthened would have been to include a statutory provision that explicitly guarantees the right to to engage in public participation, so effectively to create a substantive right. In Canada, unlike the U.S., there's no constitutional protection afforded to citizens who who participate in the government's decision-making process. Um, In the U.S., the courts have interpreted the First Amendment in their constitution as essentially guaranteeing that right to citizens. Now, here in Canada, we do have the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which protects freedom of expression, but the Supreme Court of Canada has held that that does not it does not apply to litigation between private parties. Mm. So I think certainly a statutory provision explicitly guaranteeing the right to engage in public participation would have strengthened the bill. One of the reasons this um, news item came across my desk was actually it was it was forwarded to me by a, an email list I'm on um, that actually largely deals with anti-nuclear issues but of course the, the legislation like this applies to a variety of, of issues and and one of the things that that email had mentioned that I actually was not able to to track down uh, but I'm, I'm wondering if you have any more information about was the was that the person that had shared the news item had said that this was in contrast to legislation or at least policy intention in in almost the opposite direction uh, when compared to BC um, so specifically um, I don't know I don't know how specifically you can you can speak to it but uh, one great example of course would be the the ongoing issue with the Kinder Morgan and Burnaby Mountain uh, out in BC with regards to uh, Kinder Morgan um, and even though they were able to um, eventually come to a what seemed to be a favorable outcome the there was still an amount of time uh, where they were essentially able to go ahead and do whatever they wanted by tying up um, some interested citizens uh, in the courts in, in this sector. Uh, is 
Is that true? Is Can you just say a little bit more maybe about what some of the policy is in other provinces that, that might affect people? Um, are you referring specifically to, to the B.C. legislation, whether that would have been effective as opposed to this particular piece of legislation? I just want to clarify R- the question. Right. Yeah, yeah. Just sort of like would, this, uh, would the legislation that we have here in Ontario have um, – what sort of a different outcome would we have looked at and, and – uh, and I guess what are your hopes that, that we can see these sorts of legislation being enacted in other provinces soon? Yeah, I, I think the the, the, the the Ontario bill would certainly have been very useful in, in the situation, in the Kinder Morgan situation, I think, because I think the, most, the, 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 the key features, the important features of any anti-slap legislation are really this one. They have to, I think, need uh, a strong protection for public participation. The second key component of any bill is to provide a, a process for uh, early dismissal, which the Ontario bill does. And thirdly, I think you have to create disincentives for bringing SLAP, like, uh, for, for initiating a SLAP. Uh, the Ontario bill, I think, includes all those three components. Um, with respect to the first component, which is providing a, a, a protection for public participation, the, the bill defines what public participation is. And, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it could certainly have been strengthened by including an explicit right. But on the whole, I think uh, a situation that, that like in De Morgan, could certainly have benefited from having anti-slap legislation in place to have the courts basically intervene very early at the litigation stage to determine if, in fact, it's a slap and to uh, essentially dismiss it once the finding has been made. And I think you, you're going to see, I mean, there's a push in B.C. For, for to enact anti-slap legislation again. And I think, you know, if these kind of lawsuits continue, I think it's simply a question of time before uh, other provinces start enacting similar legislation. And and uh, so I think uh, Ontario has taken, I think, a very important step in this regard. And, but I think if the trend of slaps continues in Canada, as it certainly seems to be a reality of our legal landscape, I think you will see other provinces. Uh, there will certainly be pressure from the public for other provinces to enact anti-slap legislation. <laughs> One of the other uh, things that I, uh, I think we could use um, the Kinder Morgan in uh, Burnaby, BC, as an example of was that there's a there's a quite a call going out among um, folks who are interested, uh, particularly in oil issues like that, at being an example in Canada mm-hmm. uh, for uh, nonviolent civil disobedience. We had the uh, daughter of uh, David Suzuki uh, being arrested, a number of high profile people being arrested for nonviolent civil disobedient acts. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that sort of action interact with anti-slap legislation in the sense that, you know, while we may morally agree, you know, we may or may not, I, d- I don't want to assume that your position on that, but, um, you know, many will morally agree with, uh, with that being the right action and the correct thing to do and how that's courageous, but because they are technically breaking the law, does that make it harder for them to use something like an anti-slap legislation to, to also back them up? Do, do you have to sort of pick one? Or, or, or could someone theoretically use both? No, I think the, the, the Ontario bill sort of recognizes that, that there, you know, in cases where you're dealing with civil dis- disobedience, that there may be, in fact, um, a technical violation of the law. For example, there may be trespass onto property. Uh, and the uh, and this was a, 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 certainly a, ma- a major point of discussion before the, the the evidence that was presented to the expert panel and and in the Ontario legislation it act, in fact takes that into consideration 
because one of the, the issues that the court has to consider uh, in the test for dismissal is also whether the plaintiff, that's the party who launched the slap, uh, slap case, has in fact suffered significant harm and has to balance that, uh, weigh that against the public interest in ensuring that there is public participation. So it's effectively a balancing test between these two competing objectives. Um, so I think that the uh, Ontario legislation has taken that kind of uh, situation into account, um, things such as civil disobedience, where they may, in fact, have been a very minor technical violation of the law, to ensure that the court actually considers that and weighs that sort of technical breach against the broader public interest in ensuring that citizens have a right to participate in the democratic process. Um, and then uh, finally, my, my last question for you is actually, um, we, we spoke to somebody from SELA, I think about two years ago, and shamefully, it's been quite a while since we've had you on, so I, I want to thank you again for, for taking your time to speak to us today. Uh, but because it has been such a, uh, quite a while, and, uh, and I know that SELA works on, on quite a wide variety of issues, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to maybe uh, mention some of the other files that you might be working on right now, or if there's any other issues that you think our listeners might be interested in. Oh, boy. How long do you have? Uh, six minutes. <laughs> uh, well, we we, 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 there's a whole range of issues that that's ongoing. We work heavily, Tila's uh, extensively involved in the nuclear file. We've been extensively involved in, in uh, water issues um, and legislation in, in that particular regard, and vomal assessments. I mean, it, it covers a broad gambit. I could go on and on. <laughs> Uh, perhaps uh, you'd just like an opportunity then to, to maybe let folks know where where they can uh, look up more information specifically about um, this legislation that's coming through, but also just uh, about CELA in general. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, you can Google Canadian Environmental Law Association. You can go onto our website. We have a list of all the law reform projects we're working on, as well as all the litigation that's ongoing and how the public can get involved a lot of the work that that CELA has done along with other groups on uh, trying to have the province enact anti-slap legislation, our review and analysis of the bill, all of that is actually on our website. Uh, I just recently over Christmas did a blog on the anti-slap legislation. So, you know, if your listeners want more information, I would strongly urge them to, to go onto our website. Okay. Well, uh, Romani and Nadaraja, I want to thank you very much uh, for your time again and for speaking to us today, Council for the Canadian Environmental Law Association. You're very welcome. Thanks very much. And uh, we're going to go to our second and final music break here on The Green Majority. We're going to come back and talk about a few news items, uh, including uh, mining and the TPP. We'll be back in about one minute. See you soon. Hey, yeah. You got to hang on. You got to hang on. on. Yeah. Let's go. See, you know, dudes complain about distribution the game and the radio stations looping the same stupidness. But maybe they ain't playing too much music on much music because there ain't much music out here with much to it. When the music plays, we ain't saying too much through it. We just add to the ads, we just do it. They get mad when they don't hate us. Now they love Lewis, CK, and David Chappelle. Because the truth is, media speaking more truth than we in music. Like we traded mediums. Now we the ones that act foolish. Plus we need to laugh. Because peep the stats, see the facts. That murder in Ferguson ain't even half. So we see the laugh and we crying. And if it's that, then we dying. So we quiet now. Ain't a lot of rappers really trying. We going out without as much as a sound. Rest in peace, much music. Rest in peace, Mike Brown. This is 
right now. My man said he can't pipe down. They're putting pipelines right through the grounds in this town. I'm waking up too, too much music to write down. That's what we fight now. We fight pride, we fight doubt, like out. I tell him, listen, this system taking my hope away. That's like me not coming up with something dope to say. It only motivates. I'm so awake, I'm dreaming of teaming up more mentors and protégés to go and play on this field, shoulder to shoulder blade, steel like composure flows, real like a rolling tape. How the young boy make it feel like the golden age, but still so forward. This warrior's like Golden State, overstanding like Golden Gate. These gold bars worth more than some gold record and golden chain. Take that momentum, don't let it go to waste. Feel that faith growing. Hey, day, stay strong. Hang on. We are back. You're listening to The Green Majority. I think I'd recognize that singer, but Neil, uh, Kevin just reminded me, and I'd forgotten because it's something we don't usually do, uh, that we were going to get you to uh, say what the actual songs were and why you chose them. Neil, our tech, why did you choose those songs and who were you listening to? Yeah, Darren, that first song was an artist from Edmonton called uh, Tennyson, and the song was Lay By. And I chose it just because it's a beautiful song. I think in life we need more uh, beautiful things in our in our life. And the second song was Shad. Um, the song was title was Hang On. And I chose that because uh, he's one of my favorite hip-hop artists. And he proves that uh, good hip-hop music and intelligent lyrics aren't at odds. Yeah, I'm hoping – I know, um, you know, for people that don't regularly listen to hip-hop, I have a very wide and dispersed music taste. And, but uh, sometimes people maybe will – who are not used to listening to that style of music will sort of hear the song but not listen to what's being said. Um, and uh, if you go back and listen to some of the lyrics uh, that were being said there, he's dropping some pretty serious issues in there. I mean there was references to uh, the police violence and to the Michael Brown shooting and uh, – you know, if you didn't catch that, I, I recommend that you go back and actually have a, a close listen to what was being said. Definitely powerful songs and, and com- almost completely opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, but thank you uh, again this week for, for choosing our music, Neil. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Uh, so we're going to talk uh, about a couple of items here, uh, gentlemen. And uh, Kevin, I might start with you this time just to mix it up. Uh, but I want to just introduce the, the first of the items that I that I'd prepped for today uh, was the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which has been on my radar for a while, uh, but I feel like it's now starting to actually come into the public realm a bit more. I feel like it's starting to make its way out of the dark back corners of the internet where at the time when I started hearing about it, about probably about three or four years ago, um, it almost seemed like it should be ignored and I intentionally didn't mention it on the show because I at that point was not sure if this was not uh, sort of another harebrained conspiracy thing and I wanted more information before I brought it to the audience but we, we now have um, very progressive senators like Bernie Sanders uh, in the US talking about it we have a lot of Canadian activists talking about it it's definitely a real thing and it should freak you out it's, it's pretty serious what's going on the, it, not just what it is, but the, the fact that we know so little about it. Uh, but, Kevin, I'd like to give you an opportunity to make a quick comment about it, and then I've got a few more things I want to say as well. Uh, sure. The TPP is uh, an acronym for the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh, it's a quote-unquote trade deal that uh, seeks to involve uh, Pacific nations that, were it to be finalized, would encompass 40% of global GDP. So this is a non-trivial uh, international agreement. 
and having said that the the level of secrecy attending this agreement is 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 stunning it's breathtaking and it is not by accident that we don't know about this agreement um there was a uh, i forget how long ago now um a three-day conference held in vancouver <clears throat> for all of the uh the participants in the negotiations which includes uh, government officials, but also 600 corporate lobbyists from the biggest, most powerful multinational corporations in the world. There was a conference, I mean, of this magnitude with people with this much clout, a three-day conference was held in Vancouver, and this was not picked up by anyone anywhere until days later it was reported in a South American publication. So, so I, I mean, you don't achieve that. That just doesn't happen by accident. That is, that is, there is a, there is a media blackout on these negotiations. What we do know about them is uh, from leaked documents, and I think it was uh, WikiLeaks, but double-check me. on. Oh, Ste- Stefan's giving me the nod there. And so what we do know about this, there's also a great, if you go looking, there's a great old issue of Democracy Now!, uh, episode of Democracy Now!, where they talk about this. And what we, what we do know is from these leaked documents, and there's 29 chapters, only five of which, even on the face of it, purport to deal with trade. The, the, the remainder, uh, 24, um, are essentially investor protections for these massive companies, and they seem to be cut from the same cloth as previous uh, and, and ongoing nego- trade, quote-unquote trade negotiations, which are just about ensuring the rights of investors in these multinational agreements. And in particular, we have more of the same of these insp- uh, investor state dispute settlement mechanisms. <laughs> Um, ISD, whatever, um, uh, somebody worked that out for me. <laughs> the acronym for that is, is, uh, is, is, uh, anyway. Uh, and, and these are, these are, these are mechanisms by which, um, corporations, quote, the, the quote unquote investors in these agreements bring legislation against, directly against governments if those governments enact legislation or regulation that, that they, figure interferes with their future existing or future profits uh, and these are settled extra um, in, a, in a sort of an extra judicial setting there are these these uh, these these uh, lawsuits these claims against governments brought by investors are settled in secret tribunals that are overseen by uh, you know a couple of international lawyers not all of whom are I think at most even one is only from the company uh, the, the company the country that's being targeted. So you have this issue, this situation where public money is awarded to foreign corporations for the instance where that government might have just tried to duly enact legislation for which it was elected in a democratic process. And this money, this public money is is awarded uh, at the hands of, of foreign actors, not, not even just to benefit foreign actors, but the tribunals are made up of foreign nationals. So it's, I mean, it's a stunning situation. There's all manner of examples of company. Uh, I keep saying companies, countries. It's a Freudian slip, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm being. I've, I've been conditioned. Uh, there's all manner of payouts uh, where you know Canada and other countries have paid out hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, and and it's not just that it, uh, for for these awards where they've said, hey, you've interfered with our profits. You owe us money for that. Some of these are, are not. I mean, on the face of it, that should be uh, upsetting. And some of these are just outrageous. Um, but also the fact that these things exist, uh, you don't, it, the chilling effect is, is significant. And governments avoid uh, bringing in legislation and bringing in re- regulation 
because they don't want to incur these multi-million uh, dollar penalties for doing so. So, so even just the threat of these things succeeds in driving down uh, the effectiveness of, of government on things like worker protections, environmental protections, uh, uh, and and so on. So, I mean, that's that's um, the TPP. Uh, you, you know, th- this began with NAFTA. These kinds of this this particular problem <laughs> began with NAFTA, or at least that's when I became aware. This like investor state uh, settlement mechanism. Uh, was enshrined in NAFTA, and the TPP has been described as NAFTA on steroids, and in, and in that regard, it is. It, it, on the face of it, it is. It hasn't been finalized yet, but uh, more of the same of that is, I think, not in anyone's best interest. Mm. My, my immediate reaction to it um, you know, is, was sort of an, a knee-jerk reaction far before even getting into the, the meat and potatoes of what's actually in it. Um, which is that sort of, you know, because I think uh, a lot of people don't have the attention span or the interest to sort of dig into what the, you know, what do these deals mean and what are the arguments for and against and blah, blah, blah. The, the thing I really want to call people, uh, uh, people's attention to was simply the circumstances under which it happened. Who in their right mind would possibly be for something that everybody who is involved has taken every opportunity to make sure that nobody knows about it? There's no way for this to be in the public interest if their biggest concern is the public finding out about it before it goes through. Yeah, and that's been part of the dialogue in the States. Sorry, this is very interesting. I mean, when, when you say the secrecy is not by accident, in the States, um, it, is the, it is the duty of Congress to approve trade, international trade deals. Uh, it's, not, it's not the prerogative of the president to do that unless Congress specifically says, okay, we will cede that authority to you in this case. And that's what Barack Obama is asking for in this case by asking for fast-track authority on the TPP. But it, Congress has to give him that power because it is, it is, it is the job of Congress to, to, to decide on these, these issues. Congress, if you're a member of Congress in the States, you can't even read the TPP. You, you have to go and request it chapter by chapter, read it in a private room. You're not allowed to take notes and you're not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> and what you said is, I forget who it is. It might have been Bernie Sanders, uh, is saying, you know, if, if people knew about this, they would vote against it. They simply would. And you're, you're, you're right. Like this is, that's, that's the point. It's like you, the, the secrecy is not by accident. And, and it says, it says something if you can only, Sneak if you can only uh, uh, achieve this in secrecy, but something that comprises forty percent of global GDP simply cannot be enacted in secrecy. It it, it runs in the face of every principle of dem- democratic and representative government. Yeah, I mean, my my knee jerk reaction, and, and Stefan, I'd like to go to you for a comment in a moment right after this. But um, just to sort of just to sort of put a, a fine point on that, which which was that you know we we talk a lot about, and I think a lot of people are very aware of you know the influence that money has on our public discourse, whether we're talking about direct corruption or simply the uh, insidious uh, sort of effect uh, through non-direct corruption about, well, you know, we don't, a news organization is, might be remiss to, uh, or might be very nervous about uh, doing a story that completely undermines one of their major sponsors, for instance. So that doesn't require direct corruption. It's sort of uh, institutionalized corruption or systematic corruption rather than someone coming to somebody else and saying, do this or, or I'll punish you or, or do this and I'll reward you. Uh, It's more of systemic than that. Uh, but that's sort of the point here was that there's such an ability and we have so many examples of 
incredibly powerful, more powerful than many governments, and in some cases, seemingly more powerful than all governments, corporations to simply flood the system with bad information uh, in a way to convince people, confuse the public enough to get things through. The people who are trying to get this done are so concerned that if anybody found out about it, they would be immediately against it, that they're not even trying to do that. Right. They're so terrified that even with their vast influence and seemingly infinite resources, that there is no way that they can put lipstick on this pig, that they better hide the pig. That to me is telling. We don't, uh, to, to me, you don't even need to know any more about it. You say you come back to me when you can explain this to me. You know, but, you know, which is why I didn't like, yeah, I think we could have a really interesting discussion about all the nuts and bolts in here and, and why the things that we do know about that have been leaked are terrifying. But we don't even need to go that far as far as I'm concerned. If, if Knowing what we know about had the ability of, of influence of money, of the ability to confuse the public, to push things through, you know, mention all the denialism around the issue we won't name today, uh, all the influence of, of oil companies, all the, the tobacco being another great example of, you know, muddying the waters and delaying action to, to continue making profits. They're so sure that the public would not even buy that, that they don't have the power with their infinite resources to convince people to go ahead with it, that they're trying to hide it. That to me should scare the Blank out of you, Stefan. Mm. Uh, yeah, so I'm gonna <clears throat> I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit. Uh, first of all, I think it's very very funny that we're talking about this at the same time we talk about slap. Uh, I think the connection can be made pretty directly, uh, given that I think basically the 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 new world that we live in, uh, if I can use that term, uh, is that countries uh, countries exist. Countries, and to some extent, are run like businesses, and businesses are now countries. We, there, you know, there. Are, if you look at <laughs> yeah. if you look at the number of if you look at the number of uh, uh, of largest economies in the world, a good percentage of them are multinational co- corporations, uh, and and that's just the fact that that's just the world we live in right now. Uh, and so the fact that what we're now like what this what this would do basically by setting these tribunals is, you know, to some extent, basically put everyone on an equal playing field. Like as in multinationals are now the on, would be on equal playing field as as any individual state, um, which I think has a bunch of really really interesting and definitely probably not so great things that, that comes out of it. Uh, the first, most obviously, um, well, well, first of all, I just want to point out I, the first thing I wrote down when I was when you guys were talking about this is just I want to point out the hilarious hypocrisy of the United States putting subjecting themselves to tribunals. Posted by international lawyers while refusing to join the international <laughs> the international criminal code. Like, <laughs> if you guys, the whole point of not joining the ICC on the state's view is we're America, we can do what we like. Uh, to then go out and say we're America, we can do what we like, but here's an ability to sue us if you would do something you don't like, is like. I just want that explained to me before we go on. <laughs> if you want to join, like if you want, if you just want to say that you, everyone can sue everyone, and ev- then join the ICC and let's have a real court system that actually runs the entire world. Like that's that's a, that, if that's the decision you want to make, make that decision. But it's like it's weird that we live in a world right now that has a that has that where suing is possible everywhere, and anyone can sue anyone, including states, and happens consistently. But you cannot have there are no criminals. The the uh, it's possible that I might have said this before, but the the original language in NAFTA that um, protected investor rights in these investor state agreements 
the original language might only have been might have been intended only to protect investors against the uh, appropriation, the nationalization of their assets. Like you know, thanks for the billion dollar refinery. No, F you very much. It's ours. Uh, and and but what's interesting? So the language might have only been intended to do that, which is odd because it's that seems like it was already protected under international. Those that circumstance already had remedies under international law. But what it has come to mean is that uh, is is what 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 the the it was Ethel Corporation in a lawsuit against Canada or the threatening a lawsuit against Canada that was making the really extraordinary claim, and I'm going to get the language wrong, but essentially what they're saying is um, uh, you're, you, you owe us for future profits. Like you're, 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 uh, I, shouldn't have, I shouldn't have barged into this. I've got this written down really well somewhere. Maybe we'll come back to this next week. But anyway, it, it, rather than simply protecting themselves against like losing their assets, they're protecting future profits. And you, to touch on the point you just made, I've been deeply troubled for many years why any democrat, democratically re- elected government even has the right, the constitutional right, to elevate some foreign body uh, to the level that says you can compete with our electorate uh, for for our attention, or for you you can interfere with our ability to represent our citizens with according to these lawsuits. That just seems to me to be an a, an abrogation of their of their basic responsibility to the citizens that elect them. Yeah, well, it's, it's I find it so I can't wait to see the massive you know right wing rise up the Tea Party rise up against this, given the fact of how much they're so convinced that the UN is going to take over, uh, but these tribunals won't. Uh, but I want to get back to slap because that's what I, what I find so interesting about this is that once you accept that basically corporations and countries are now playing the same game, uh, you know, uh, then. Then what you can easily start seeing is guess who gets slapped now? It's not just it's not just you. It's not me. Uh, it's Ecuador, you know. <laughs> uh, and 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 very very really, Ecuador has spent years trying to get about I think it's nine billion dollars out of Chevron for its for its refusal to clean up a certain uh, certain toxic pits, and Chevron's been basically saying no. What at this point at that point what does Ecuador do? Like do, the, Ecuador can't invade Chevron to do, get to get their nine million billion dollars. There's just there's no recourse, and suddenly it becomes a game of are you the biggest? Do you have the most money? And if so, you can choose whether or not you pay these things. Mm. And and at that point, it it no longer does it matter. Nothing matters except whether or not you have more money or and you're bigger, and yeah. nothing else matters. And like maybe now Ecuador can say, all right, Chevron, we don't want you back into our, our, our you, know, you can't work in within our space now, uh, which would be within the right. But the damage is already done, and there are too many corporations to to deal with that. Mm. Uh, and so it's it's if this is the new world that we live in, let's there's a lot of things we have got to figure out. Yeah, uh, uh, two things. One, I should have known better than to think that we could talk about TPP for anything less than twenty minutes. So, uh, so much for mining and caribou. Sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, I'll post the links anyway if anyone is interested in reading the articles that had caught my attention. Um, but I just, I, I have one. We have like three minutes, so I have a quick comment. And if we have any time, you guys can tell me what you think. Uh, but I want to come back full circle. We started the show with my complaint about. Um, Stop Harper and nothing else campaign. Mm-hmm. I'm for Stop Harper, and here's what we do about a campaign. Um, and and maybe maybe I'm taking a, a, a too a, a too unnuanced uh, a too broad uh, view of that. Um, but here's where we come back to that. And and thank you, Stefan. You led me into exactly what I wanted to say, which was 
we the reason why I don't why I sort of really have a knee jerk negative reaction to that just star stop harbor campaign was because you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater in the in the sense of the fact that yes there might be a number of issues and 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 environment might might hold a whole bunch of them where the sort of quote-unquote far left and quote-unquote far right disagree but if what polls show people when you're paying attention to them is that there's a number of issues like this where basically everybody agrees but we're we're so busy drawing battle lines about well you like that guy and i like this guy therefore we all just agree with whatever they say no matter what and screw you you're the other team and i hate you we might miss the fact that actually there's like an 85% of you know the population of Canada, regardless of who they vote for, agree on a wide variety of issues. And I think this is an excellent opportunity for people to stop thinking in this uh, polarized binary fashion of I like this guy, I like that guy, and think about, hey, how about we, you know, why don't we stop talking about, you know, abortion for five minutes and get some stuff done on stuff we all agree about and then we can go back to fighting about that later Stefan uh, I just want to goad right wing conspiracy theorists a little bit go for it which is to say that if there is a world government in my lifetime it will not be the UN it, <laughs> it will be it will be a set of tribunals set up in this exact phrase way yeah to manage these interstate competitions. We should be so lucky it'll be the UN. They will never get anything done. <laughs> <laughs> World government, but don't worry, nothing's going to happen because they'll never make any decisions. That's kind of unfair. Uh, Kevin, we have two minutes. I was wondering if maybe you wanted to have a, a final word on, uh, on, my, on my bring around of, uh, of sort of uniting the, light and the, uh, the right and, and left on the issues we agree on uh, and not getting tied up in the, in the sort of smaller area of stuff that we don't. Well, again, that's just the pathology of, of first-past-the-post in this system. There's no incentive for parties to do anything except uh, angle for 38 or 39% of the vote. And uh, increasingly, they are seeing that vote as being bunched up somewhere in the center of the spectrum, the political spectrum. And uh, I just, I don't think we're ever going to have, we're, we're never going to stop talking about strategic voting and 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 this business about regionalism and some of the other things you're talking about, as long as we have this pathological system that is was designed for a two-party system, it's illegitimate now in a multi-party system. We're one of the only democracies still using it, and uh, it's it's just it it just it distorts the vote. It has outlived its its purpose. It is anachronistic, and we're going to keep having this ridiculous conversation. Uh, as long as it's in place, proportional representation, coalition governments, people debating and negotiating on the issues will go a long way to what you're talking about, which is consensus. And we won't get it otherwise. All right. Final word, because we're out of time for the Green Majority this week. Thank you very much for listening. Greenmajority.ca, there's a big button that says email, sign up. You will get one email a month and find out all the wired, uh, wonderful myriad of things that we do besides just the radio program, as well as the links to all the radio programs. So uh, please take a few moments. If, uh, if you are interested, greenmajority.ca, a big button saying email list. Uh, we'd be glad to have you, and uh, we'd love to share some of the other work we're doing with you. Uh, unfortunately, that is all the time we have for this week. So thank you very much. You've been listening to The Green Majority. I'm your host, Darren here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Have a great week, folks. We'll see everybody next week.